Crash Solutions family, partners, and friends, how is everyone holding up these days? Now that things have loosened up a little bit, the SA team, myself, the Heartbreaker, and Zeke Augusto, our producer, went on a little trip. You know, the things celebrities do. Anyhow, we checked into the motel we were staying at, and the manager told us the total rate for our rooms was going to be $30, because that's the type of budget we have. We each threw down a $10 bill, got our keys, and went off to our room to unpack. Fortunately for us, the manager quickly realized he had overcharged us $5, and he gave the bellboy five singles and said, go give this back to the SA team. Well, the bellboy didn't know how to split $5 three ways, so he gave Zeke a dollar back, he gave the heartbreaker a dollar back, and he gave me a dollar back. And naturally, he pocketed the extra two bucks, you know, a little something for the effort. The question I have is, Zeke, the heartbreaker, and I paid $10. We all just got back a dollar, so we each now have paid $9, which is $27 in aggregate. The bellboy pocketed $2, so that gives us $29. What the heck happened to that extra dollar? Well, I guess that's inflation for you. Anyhow, this is Andy Erickson, your host of the Storied Smart Asses podcast, and I'm here with the heartbreaker, Chris Ernst, who knows in the springtime when most people are smelling the flowers, the heartbreaker is kissing flowers, and he knows that tulips are better than one. Heartbreaker, my man, how you holding up? Uh, I'm great, Andy, uh, for sure. Glad spring is here, and good to be with you as always. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, and that's great, heartbreaker. I'm glad that you're to hear you're holding up. Anyway, I'm looking forward to speaking to our guest today. We are going to kick it off with our very own globetrotter, Larry Ogden, to talk to him a little bit about what's happening in Asia. And then we're going to bring in a couple SMEs in the phosphate and surfactant market to give us a quick hit on what is going on with their chemistries ingredients. So let's get at it. All right, our next guest has over 35 years of experience in the industry. He currently resides outside of Boston, but there is no East Charm with this guy. Let's bring him in. Univar Solutions' very own globetrotter, Larry Ogden. Larry, man, welcome to the Essay Pod. How you doing today, bud? I'm doing fantastic, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Quick little question out of the gates. Given the chance, would you prefer a glass of ice-cold Baijiu in China or ice-cold Lublin in Brazil? Both taste like diesel fuel. So currently they'd be very expensive. But anyway. That's a great question, Andy. And, you know, I'm going to throw you a curveball and add a new one into the mix because, you know, we're running these geographic alcohols. I think I'd go for a nice ice cold Brennevin. It is Iceland's number one drink known as Black Death. And it is every bit as good as Baijo and your Lublin. Obviously, we appreciate your feedback. It doesn't mean we'll take it into account, but we appreciate it. Um, (laughs) All right. Anyway, let's get into this. What is happening in China with COVID? And is it impacting the entire supply chain or is it just isolated to China and certain ports? So China is experiencing Omicron, much as um, we have here in North America. The impacts, while they've been across a large part of China, They mostly have been felt in the city of Shanghai. Shanghai is a huge city, as you know. There's 27 million people or so there. And they've taken some very strict measures. They've basically shut the entire city down. The impact on that has been that shipments, at least for our business, shipments to the port of Shanghai have all but stopped. Regulations, a lot of checks, a lot of testing, that drivers, truck drivers, have to go through to get to the port. And quite honestly, uh, they either don't want to go through it or 
uh, they're not able to abide by what those regulations and protocols are. So shipments to the port of Shanghai have just about stopped. This is predominantly isolated to Shanghai. Other ports across China continue to operate. So Ningbo, Qingdao, Tianjin, Xingyan, which are all ports that we use, continue to function. Our suppliers who are spread across China are still manufacturing. Uh, they have not been shut down. They've really not slowed down production. The issue has been, can they get material to port? Is this specific to the chemical ingredient market or is there any specific markets that th this is impacting? No, it really impacts everything that's moving through the port of Shanghai. You know, Shanghai is considered one of the largest, if not the largest port globally, and everything, you name it, ships through there from electronics and, and sneakers to chemicals. So whatever moves through that port would be impacted by the slowdown in the port. Maybe thinking slightly bigger here, one of the things I feel like I've learned, you know, in the last couple of years is just how interconnected our global business is, not just in chemicals, but more broadly than that. So what is the domino effect we're going to see from this and, you know, short and long term kind of aspect from your viewpoint, please? So a couple of things. First impact, I think, is going to be an increase in congestion in other ports within China as material moves not into Shanghai, but moves into these other ports. Second from that is going to be an equipment shortage, which is containers for the most part. Anytime you start interrupting the flow of goods, it interrupts the normal flow and positioning of the containers and being able to reuse those containers. We're already seeing some suppliers having difficulty accessing 20-foot containers. It's not across the board, but we're hearing that their availability is getting impacted. So that means products getting stuck somewhere and not returning for reuse. We're also probably going to see on the good side, a little bit of a, a reduction in the congestion here in North America. You know, as shipments are delayed moving out of China and delayed out of Shanghai, we may well see some congestion slow down a bit here in the U.S. Increases in one area, it should come down a little bit in the other. Now that will change over time as the product continues to pick up and flow. The last impact I can think of, and we're seeing this happen a little bit, is an economic one where ocean freight rates, in some cases from China, have started to come down. And I think that is because there is less material getting loaded onto the boats or getting to the boats. And as a result, the freight forwarders and other words in the world are looking to try and motivate shipments as much as possible, and they're lowering rates to try and fill the boats. All right, Larry, with the situation that's going on and happening in Ukraine, does that impact Asia at all? Um, it does, yes. If we see a slowdown in production in Europe, that will lead to an increase in demand from other markets, including China, to fill that reduced production in Europe. Also, you're going to see the potential impact of, of dis, uh, disruption in the container flow again. And we're hearing that there are congestion issues and slowdowns in the ports in Europe. That means containers are getting stuck there. So the flow of empty containers back to China and other markets will be interrupted. Those are some immediate impacts that I can think of. There is smaller impacts uh, potentially on products that are uh, coming from Ukraine and parts of Europe that go to Asia. And I'm thinking of some agricultural commodities. One example is corn. China imports corn from Ukraine, and there has been a small uptick in the cost of corn in China 
and corn derivatives in China as a result of reduced imports coming from Ukraine. It's a small amount of the overall demand that China has. They, they produce most of what they need, but even a, a 5% of their total usage is still a pretty big number based on what they use them. And that's kind of, I think, the volumes that Ukraine was supplying into China. All right, Larry, closing question here for you. If you wanted our listeners to have one takeaway from this discussion, what would that be? You know, just continue to remember supply chains are fragile. Anything that's happening in the global arena appears to be impacting supply chains and supply. And what does that mean for our customers? If you're importing raw materials, don't run your inventories low. Make sure you're keeping some measure of inventory on hand and a buffer because you need to be able to guard against delays and hiccups in supply. Whether it's coming as a result of of the COVID issues in China, um, disruptions that are happening in Europe at this point in time, Um, I hate to say it, we're heading into hurricane season. Um, We know what's happened in the past um, with hurricanes. Uh, We saw the impact of of fires in Western Canada last year impacting supply chains. So all these things can disrupt the flow of goods. And and if you run your inventories too low, uh, you may find yourself impacting your ability to produce. Yeah, really great stuff, Larry. Thank you for joining us for sure. Thank you for your, your insight and I guess, fingers crossed that we um, get through all of this supply chain interconnectivity and mess that we face every day. So thanks for your insight and talk to you soon. Thank you and have a great day. First in the studio is the subject matter expert in the phosphate business, Eric the Hitman Emery. When he is not studying and analyzing the phosphate market, he has been known to be on Fortnite under his alias, tearing it up. He is truly a modern day short round. For those of you who play GoldenEye on the Nintendo 64, know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it pretty much means you're not a Generation X or one of those millennials. Anyway, man, Eric, how are you holding up these days? Doing pretty well, Andy. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. You are welcome. All right, quick question before we get into your quick hit on the phosphate market. Which of the following is your favorite Fortnite dance move? Is it the Tuesday slide? Is it the get gritty? Or is it the Gagnum style? That's tough because when I play Fortnite with my son, I rarely get to dance. Um, but I would say it would be the uh, Gangnam style. <laughs> so talk to us. Give us a skinny on what's happening in the phosphate industry. Yeah, so phosphates have been very, very interesting the last year and a half, but especially uh, very, very recently. Um, I'd frame the phosphate situation in three buckets, demand, supply, and then the cost to move and make the products. So first demand, it remains strong due to the economy. Uh, Phosphates move in a very diverse set of applications. So if the economy is doing well, so is phosphate demand. But interestingly, in the COVID world, some segments are, are even higher, and that's mostly due to cleaning applications and select food and pharma applications because phosphates have an added benefit of delivering medicine, vitamins, and nutrients in in those applications. Now over to supply. Uh, The last year and a half or so, we've seen a decrease in overall supply in the U.S. due to import issues. And that slowed uh, product here in the U.S. uh, from places like China and Europe. 
recently, as uh, late as the fourth quarter of last year, that's only accelerated due to China all but shutting down uh, phosphate production. And unfortunately, the world's never recovered from that move. So at the end of the day, that's moved domestic suppliers at capacity. Uh, so to summarize the supply demand balance, first one is the phosphate rock. 90% of that phosphate rock moves uh, to the ag market. And that market is moved significantly higher and is significantly short. But very recently, sulfur has popped up as a, a even bigger concern. Uh, you need sulfuric acid to make phosphoric acid. And that's uh, that those increases there have outpaced uh, rock phosphate rock increases. If I get my crystal ball on the phosphate market, there's still some uh, uncertainty out there. And uh, when I put all those factors together, it would appear that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Awesome, Eric. Thank you. Uh, let, let's tie a bow around this for everybody. Give me one thing you'd like our listeners to take away from this conversation. I'd like the listeners to know that though supply is tight to short, we may be able to help with some products that move into some common applications. I'll start from best to good and start with industrial applications. I think we could help with some cleaning applications, chemical manufacturing, and water treatment applications. And on the food side, we may be able to help with meat processing, dry ingredient blending, plant-based drinks, and potato processing. And just please keep in mind, this is not an exhaustive list. There's always uh, time for a conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Thanks for the insight. subject matter expert on surfactants, David, the 40-year-old retiree Borax. Now, I don't call him this because he isn't willing to roll up his sleeves and get down and dirty and join the grind. I say it because I don't believe there's a better man that pulls off linen and flip-flops. And if, I, and if he could, he would spend most of his days on the pickleball court or potentially tennis court. Mr. Borax, man, how you holding up? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. couple quick true or false questions before we get into this. True or false, your primary means of transportation is a golf cart. This is true. All right. True or false, shuffleboard should be an Olympic sport. Absolutely agreed. If they can have uh, curling in the winter sports, they should have shuffleboard in the summer sports. True or false, you'd choose to wear sandals over any other mode of shoes. 100%. They even make golf sandals. And lastly, true or false. John McEnroe is the most controversial on-court tennis player of all time. Oh, absolutely. He still is. There you have it, folks. If you don't think this 40-year-old shouldn't be a retiree, I don't know who should be. All right, David, let's talk a little bit. Give us a skinny on what's happening today in the surfactant world. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, thanks for having me on. Love what you all have been doing the past few months. Uh, very informative to everyone. You know, as a product manager in surfactants, we get to see a wide range of functions and uses just like the phosphates that Eric was speaking about earlier. The surfactants, they have different functions and a wide range of intermediates and end-use goods. Um, primary functions of the surfactants, they serve as dispersants, emulsifiers, detergents, and wetting agents. And these applications are used in mostly all markets and continue to add global growth. So what we've seen since uh, 2020 is the global surfactant market size be at 42.1 billion 
And by 2025, it's expected to grow to 52.4 billion. So that, that's a CAGR of about four and a half percent, which is huge, um, much higher than GDP that we're projecting for the next five years. Now, big drivers behind this is continuous growing population and increasing urbanization in Asian Pacific regions. And these socioeconomic increases call for surfactants to be used in water treatment plants, building materials, energy efficiencies, the food that they get with agriculture, like Eric was speaking about with phosphates, they're basically used where now. And another driving factor behind this growth is uh, basically what the past two years have shown us with the awareness of uh, sanitizers, cleaning and hygiene products. You know, home care applications will continue to lead the North American market as they're used in dishwashing detergents, laundry detergents, carpet and floor cleaners. Well, this goes on and on. But when it comes down to um, another key growth factor with surfactants, you know, we see a lot of our suppliers and people continuously expanding their focus on sustainability. And we're seeing a lot of uh, key suppliers invest and develop in more bio-based surfactants derived from renewable resources. These have had more favorable biodegradability, lower toxic toxicity, unique antimicrobial properties, and even in personal care applications to be more mild on the skin versus traditional surfactants. So the advances that are coming out, the technologies that are coming out within the surfactant world are going to be very impressive, just like we've seen in the food industry with alternatives that we've traditionally seen. And surfactants are a backbone of mostly all these formulations. Great stuff, David. Uh, appreciate the insights. So <clears throat> I usually have one question to bring us home here. I'm gonna add a bonus question today, please. So bonus question is, can you please send me the link to your favorite golf sandal? I'd like to do some exploratory research there. And then second is, can you give me one takeaway or, or one thing you'd like our listeners to pull from this conversation? Yeah, I'll definitely get you the golf sandal. That's a very important piece of everyday function. But um, one of the biggest takeaways that I've seen over the past two years and moving forward with surfactants, but it's also with phosphates, it's also with every single part of our industry, with our suppliers and our customers, is how they partner with their supply chain industry. And I mean that whether it's the products, the surfactants they're using, or whether it's um, you know their corrugated people that they're using. This includes utilizing our distribution centers, our private fleet for transportation, the way that they have to think about moving their business forward for the next um, five years and beyond. And I think what we've done as a company is really position ourselves to be one of the strongest partners globally because we have our fleets, we have our distribution centers. We're thinking about the sustainability and keeping their vision, our customers' visions in line with everything that we're doing. So it's a very exciting time for us, for our customers, our suppliers, and definitely the surfactant market. Much appreciated, David. Thank you. All right, everybody, that marks the end of our podcast. I'd like to thank our guests again for joining us and for providing all the great insights. 
Hope everybody had a great time and hope everybody listens to our next one when it comes out. Thanks. Have a great day. The Smart Acids, breaking things down for the chemicals and specialty ingredients market, one boron at a time. Smart Acids is part of the Univar Solutions Podcast Network.